heard this well-known TV talk show host who has interviewed Sinatra, Martha Stewart, John Belushi, Sophia Loren, and hundreds of other stars have the next Family Guy or The Simpsons evolved from his new book series. Buckle on up as you are about to find out. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on the Motivation Show today is an Emmy award-winning TV talk show host, producer, and author who began his career in comedy. His TV credits include the long-running Midday Live out of New York City. He was the executive producer of the groundbreaking The Morton Downey Show and was the co-creator and host of the syndicated series Comedy Tonight. He has interviewed some of the most notable personalities of all time. Now, he has put out a sequel to a best-selling book, and we're going to get right into that. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Bill Box. Well, thank you for those encomiums. I really appreciate it. It's uh, nice to see you, Eli. It's nice to know you're my neighbor in New York. Absolutely. We're down the block from each other. Absolutely. I could have appeared live, except I happen to be in East Hampton. And uh, great to be with you. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. So I'm just, uh, normally, you know, I'm the interviewer. I'm just going to sit back, relax, and (laughs) respond. Well, you know, growing up in New York City, you were kind of a household name to me. You know, I've watched you and you've had some incredible classic interviews. And you interviewed a guy by the name of uh, Old Blue Eyes. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that interview and your relationship with uh, Frankie there. Frank Sinatra, well, I'm liking, uh, there were many long versions, short versions of the story. I'm going to give you like the, uh, I'm on a 25-minute podcast version, and I better not go on too long. (laughs) So I'll give you the the bullet points, right? I'm a lifelong Frank Sinatra fan who snuck in to see Sinatra dressed as a busboy at the 500 Club in the early 60s. Had a recurring dream like three, four times a year that I was sitting in a chair talking to Frank. You know, dreams are nuts. Sometimes it would be Frank Sinatra. Sometimes it looked like somebody else was always Frank. In April of 1975, a group of friends of mine that inveigled me to go meet them in Las Vegas for one of their birthday and go to Elvis Presley's first show at the Hilton and Sinatra's late show at Caesar's Palace. This was, of course, red meat for me. I love Elvis. I love rock and roll. So the morning, and I was doing midday, the show you were kind enough to mention, is the morning that I woke up on Friday to do the show and then Zoom to Las Vegas for big Friday night and Saturday night entertainment. I woke up with it having had an extremely vivid version of the Frank Sinatra dream, which I had like a couple times a year. It wasn't like a nightly thing. And it was so vivid that I thought this is a precognitive dream. I'm going to meet Frank this weekend, somehow in Las Vegas, and he's going to come and sit down and do midday, and it happens. Now, that's the the prelude. So I met Frank at four in the morning because I happened to be wandering around. I wasn't looking for Frank. I wasn't thinking, I got to make this. It just happened. And we we clicked. Uh, He talked to me one-on-one for 10 straight minutes, about four o'clock in the morning. 
And there was, he must have, we later told me, seen something in me that he liked and trusted because at the end of the conversation, he said, Jilly, who introduced us, his friend, said, uh, Jilly says, you have a show, talk show on Channel 5 in New York? I said, yeah. He said, well, look, I don't want to promise anything, but in September, keep in mind, this is April, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be in New York at the Eurus Theater with Ella and Basie, and maybe I'll swing by and do your show. Now, Eli, what do you think I said? <laughs> I think you were very interested. <laughs> uh-uh. No. <laughs> without, without one second of forethought, I said to Frank, not even thinking about the dream or anything, I put my hands up. I said, Frank, thank you. I'm not asking for anything. Thank you. He that was my instinct. He pulls my hands down, looks at me with these eyes, says, Billy, I know you're not asking. Maybe I'll come by. We'll see. And he did. So it made headlines around the world. Frank had never been on a talk show, hadn't been interviewed. Really? By, no. To that point? That's amazing. What, what year was that, circuit? What year? 75. 75. It made headlines around the world. And all these years, people were saying, how did you get Frank Sinatra? May answer? I met him. Yeah, well, maybe there was reverse psychology because you didn't like chase him, and you, you, you know, maybe he said, you no, know, <laughs> it was it was meant to be. It was meant to be. He knew be. that I truly loved his work and loved yeah. him. My mother yeah. was a Bobby Sox. He just knew he could trust me, which he could. Mm, that's great. And you've interviewed some other incredible people: Vander Holyfield, Brooke Shields, Yitzhak Rabin, John Belushi. Uh, Tell me about John Belushi, because, you know, unfortunately, he died a little young. But, boy, he had a meteoric rise. How would that go? <laughs> well, the, the interview with I have a YouTube channel. For the last 15 years, I've been spending money cultivating it, getting stuff digitized. I have an agent who represents all this stuff now. So if you go to Bill Boggs TV on YouTube, it's free. And subscribe, please. You can see the interview with John Belushi. I only interviewed him once. And um, I met him the night. He wasn't even scheduled. We had uh, Michael O'Donoghue, a Saturday Night Live writer. We had, um, let's see, uh, Steve Allen. And we had David Brenner on the show. And the night before, about, I don't know, 11.30, quarter to 12, I was at Studio 54 out in the dance floor. And suddenly there's Belushi, whom I had met once. And, you know, I knew him from TV. He knew me. And now I'm dancing with Belushi. Yeah, Bill. At yeah. Studio 54? In the old days? Oh, my yeah. guy. Oh, my who's God. On, who's on uh, Who's on your show tomorrow? Well, let's see. John, let's see. We got uh, Michael O'Donoghue. Yeah, yeah good writer. Uh, we got David Brenner. Yeah, okay. Uh, and we got Steve Allen. What? He stopped. You got Steve Allen? I love Steve Allen. He's an inspiration to me. He's great. And so I say, completely opposite of Sinatra, I say, well, you know, you could come and be on the show tomorrow, John, and meet Steve. I could meet Steve. Yes. So he takes out this stub of a pencil. Here's my number. Keep calling me in the morning. Call me no matter what. What time do I have to be there? I say, you got to be there by 11. Oh, okay. That's it. Okay. Call me no matter what. So I call him the next day. No answer. Call him the next day. Show's on live at 1130. The, audience, the, 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 the producers are going, are you nuts? Belucci's not coming. He said he was going to come. So... I, at about 10 after, quarter after 11, I make my last call, and he finally picks up. Oh, it's Bill Bach. No, wait, John. <laughs> Steve Allen. Yeah. Uh, uh, the hot button. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll be there. 
So we go through about three or four segments, and fifth segment or so, the door opens, and Belushi comes literally like a giant salamander, Komodo dragon, comes crawling across the floor, up onto the set, and sits down. <laughs> Hi, Steve. You can see the, what happened, and it gets completely nuts. Bill Boggs TV. John oh Belushi, there yeah, you that, go. that's got to be one of a kind. Of my, you just tapped two of my favorite stories. <laughs> I think I might get into a third one, you know, Martha Stewart. I hear there uh, there might have been a, a little bit of a uh, spark there. Tell us about that. Well, I met, you know, any man, I'm a straight guy, any man who meets a woman that he thinks is attractive, you feel a little tingle. So when I first met Martha back in like 78, something like that, I thought, what a beautiful woman. You know, she had been a model. She's smart. She's writing these books. And I always, like, had a thing for her. And I was involved in relationships. I could have been married. I never dated Martha Stewart. So um, when, and this, by the way, this clip, again, what I'm going to recreate here is available on Bill Boggs TV on YouTube, where there's 500 videos that you can watch. We just put up with Elliot Gould, where I got Elliot Gould talking about Barbara Streisand, his wife, by playing the way we were. <laughs> I thought that was his sister. Excuse me? I thought that was his sister, no? Elliot Gould and Barbara Streisand? <laughs> they were married. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. Yes, they have, they have a child. They were Yes, they met with Then, then I, I got to get my history, uh, you know, straight. Yeah, no, they, they were, they were married. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Anyway, so uh, when Martha was on my food, I had a long run on Channel 5 on Midday Live, and the second longest run, 10 years on the Food Network, was yep. there the night it went on the air and helped create the original program, Bill Boggs' Corner Table, where... Got to sit down with big name. Get this for a scam. I mean, Eli, come on. I got the Food <laughs> Network to pay me really good money to go to the greatest restaurants in America. Yeah, Lutetz, right? Wait, not finished. <laughs> sit down with big name celebrities. Right. Eat for free. Be on television. They actually paid me to have lunch with Sophia Loren. <laughs> you got to pay them, right? What a scam. So with the interview with Martha at John George Restaurant, I just sort of like was in a cheeky mood, you know. So I said, uh, Martha, would you like to be married again? She said, oh, who's eating? Because we were eating and interviewing. Man, well, I'd love to be married again, but it would have to be a very special kind of man. I have a complicated life. But I said, well, Martha would, would it have to be, keep in mind the Food Network's on cable TV. But Martha, would it have to be a, a mogul like yourself, like a captain of industry, a, no, 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 Bill. It could just be like a gardener or something like that. I said, could it be like a guy with a really good show on cable? <laughs> she goes, Bill, are you proposing to me at lunchtime? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, but I don't do gardening. So <laughs> that that's, that's that. That's what happened with Martha. That's pretty funny. So let's get into your uh, books because I understand you just – Put one out, uh, Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns, uh, and I'm reading these little quotes at the beginning of your book and uh, talk about good names. You've got Lucy Arnaz and Joe Piscopo and Bob Costas and Mike Reese, who's the writer-producer of The Symptoms. Creator they're, of the Symptoms. Yeah, they're all raving about this book, and I know it's a sequel to your original novel, The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog. So tell me about the book. Well, the book is satire. 
I like to say it's a dog. The dog is narrating the story. And there's a, in fiction, there's a history of uh, novels where the dog tells the story. You have uh, The Art of Racing in the Rain, The Call of the Wild. This, Spike, the Wonder Dog, narrates the story to you. And Spike has been called by two critics in print, the funniest dog ever to appear in fiction. This book is designed to make you laugh. That 100% is my goal. Read the book, lighten up, laugh at America, laugh at things from the perspective of a non-human, a dog who's looking at human foibles, who's looking at our habits, our celebrity obsessions, our, our anger, our culture, and passes through a series of, it's a heavily plotted book. So that's my goal. My goal is to essentially make you laugh. And, uh, you know, I, I, anybody who gets the book, I want them to read it and tell me, you can get in touch with me, how, how you enjoyed it, what you thought about it. I do like to point out that even though it involves a dog, Spike, this is not like a birthday present for your uh, seven-year-old's birthday party. It's a R-rated, politically incorrect <laughs> comedy. So I know you didn't get the name Spike from uh, Joan Rivers' dog. Tell us how the name uh, Spike come about and why you I actually a dog. I had a real. I had a. I had a dog named Spike. He uh. was on my first before I came to New York. Um, although Spike's, as you find out as you read the book, as, his, the name given to him by his breeders was Elmer. They named every dog in the litter after cartoon characters. He was named after Elmer Fudd. And as but then he's purchased. His owner, Bud, who's a talk show host like me, changes the name Elmer to Spike. However, I think Elmer the Wonder Dog actually would have been fire. <laughs> if he yeah. said Twicky Wabbit, right? Yeah. Where were we? <laughs> what was that question again? I knew something well, about Spike. So yeah. um, I had a dog my first show. I had a syndicated show, Southern Exposure, in North Carolina. And the dog on that show was an English Bull Terrier, Spike who people call, and I, we call him Spike the Wonder Dog. He got more mail than I did, and he was really funny. I, he would be on the, I, I could just put him in a chair, and after a while, under the lights, he would just look at a guest, like stare at a guest like this, and the guest would be looking at him, and, and, the, and the guest would like frequently say, but Spike is staring at me. I said, yeah, apparently he's interested. Right, Spike? And then Spike would go, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would say, right, Spike? And he would yawn. So that dog got killed before I came to New York. And so the germinating essence of the adventures of Spike, the Wonder Dog, and now is what if the dog had come to New York in today's world with a TV talk show host like me and became a big television and social media star? And that's what happens. The first book is really about the price of fame on both him and his owner. And the second book is a, a carryover to that. And there are loads of celebrities who appear as himself in the in the book. There's Bill Maher, Prince Harry appears, appears as himself, Tim Allen, uh, Lucy Arnaz, Kate McKinnon, Anderson Cooper, Andy Cohen, Jay-Z, and, and Beyonce are, are in here. A lot of celebrities passed through. So in what, in what form, for instance, would Beyonce be in the book? As themselves. <laughs> as themselves. That's, look, I'm, I'm writing about the world I've lived in as a television talk show host, okay? So you mentioned about Bellucci, you mentioned about Frank Sinatra, there's two stories right there, Martha Stewart, people I knew. So Spike and his master Bud are passing through a milieu where they know a lot of people, they go to parties and stuff like that. But the, the Prince Harry 
uh, comes in because Spike gets Spike. What happens is early in the book, like a third of the way in, uh, Spike uses his brick-like head to smash in a door because the strip club there in North Carolina where they live. That's a hard head. He's smashing oh, yeah, the door. Spike is very hard. He's a brick-like head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the strip club, Woody's, Woody's, uh, Big Woody's Strip Club is the name of the Perfect the name. Perfect name. Big Woody's. Yeah, yeah Big Woody's. And the um, uh, it's famous for the dance of the seven oils. So the club actually, the oils went catch around. There's a big fire at the club. And uh, well, Spike and Butter elsewhere, but Spike's a, Bud's a TV reporter. He's called to the fire. Bud goes to the front. He's interviewing the people in the front. And Spike is around back in the car. Bud says, stay in the car. But he sees in the window four naked women. He's, he reasons these might be exotic service employees, but he doesn't <laughs> like to jump to conclusions, right? So to say, he, he bashes in ahead, his head, and the smoke comes out. And the strippers are saved. And there's a, a surveillance camera that shows him doing this. And because of this, it goes viral. And he ends up on the Jimmy Fallon show. And he ends up on Saturday Night Live. And that leads to his spikes being cast in a movie called Florida Man, which stars Prince Harry, who has a Netflix deal. This is fiction now. That, give, that requires him once a year, uh, Prince Harry, to appear in a movie against type. And the Florida man, as you know, t- type in your birthday and the word Florida man. And Florida man, you know, draws giant penis in sky with, with a, a skywriting plane. Or Florida man caught licking doorbells by video cam. Crazy, crazy, <laughs> crazy. No, that's all true. Florida man, type this. Eli, we go off the show. Type in date of your birthday, just, yep. just month and day, and the word Florida man and see what comes up. So Prince Harry plays this heavily tattooed Florida man. And um, you know, you got to read the book. I can't go on. <laughs> Quite an so, imagination. So I hear the, there's the a... Book uh, is, look, Spike Unleashed. Spike Unleashed, Order, yeah. Orderspike.com. Go to orderspike.com, my, my faithful viewer here. Get the book and uh, read it and have some fun. I mean, it's, this is just designed as entertainment. Reading can still be wonderfully amusing entertainment. Still, in spite of what I'd like, to, I have to stop now and scroll my phone. For the I'm, I'm a big reader, you know. I love to read. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm, I'm scrolling my I'm, phone. I have no more time for interview. <laughs> I can't. I can't read anymore. Not able to read. No, I could read. I used yeah. to read. I read books. I read seven and eight books a year. Now, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. The, the art of reading is not dead with me. I tell you that. I got over a thousand books on my bookshelf and I'm reading all the time. Uh, I just can't replace that with social media or anything else. You know, I, I, I got to still have that hard copy in my hand. I, I, I'm not even big on the e-reading. I'd rather just have the book in, in itself. So tell me a little about the high society part of this book. You got you throw the Hamptons into the book, I understand, right? Well, you I, know? I'm talking to you right now from East Hampton. The book, yeah. as a writer... I thought I'm going to base this book in the three places where I've been spending time, which is Manhattan apartment, East Hampton house, exhibit A, and Palm Beach apartment. So the, the book, while it starts in High Point, North Carolina, where Bud and Spike live and have this TV show, and, and they're trying to buy the station, which is a big part of the plot, and their and their boss. And then it goes on up to New York, and the Florida Man movie is shot in Palm Beach. The main reason Prince Harry takes the part is when his wife learns that he could be in a movie shot in Palm Beach, she wants him to take the part, even though he has to have 72 tattoos, so she can go shopping. So, And then they come up into, into East Hampton and Manhattan. 
So do you have in your mind a, a third book and a fourth book and a, and a fifth book? Is well, this going to be like a Harry goal, Potter? <laughs> uh, yes. So I, oh, I would say oh. yes, absolutely. But oh, the wow. goal is, like Harry, the goal is to just become a bigger media thing. Because as much as I was joking about people scrolling their phones, it's what's happening. People aren't reading nearly as much. Nearly as much. Yep. So I, from the very beginning, my goal was, well, here they both are. With the first book and the second book, is for for this to be converted into an adult cartoon series, like for Netflix, Adult Prime, something like that, animation. And we have an agency on the West Coast that loves the material, but the writer strike has sidelined deal making. Well, you know, podcasting, but deal making. You know, I don't remember too many uh, things since The Simpsons, so I think there's room there, and. this sounds <laughs> it sounds like it's got that really interesting adult twist where people are going to be, you know, very very uh this intrigued is like by the next there's, twist. There's a there's a show yeah, on TV. Family Guy is a good example. That's my all-time favorite show. Yeah. I've seen the episode. I thought I've seen so much Family Guy over the past decades. I can do that. I can I can do that. I can write humor. It's going to make people laugh with reverent humor. That doesn't mean the characters in the book are like Family Guy. Yeah. It doesn't mean the Spike is like Brian the dog. It just means I started as a comedy writer. I've been writing all my life since I was a child. And I just vowed to myself that I had this idea to sit down and I made it happen. I mean, that's everybody who may be watching right now it was this idea, you know, I'd really like like to write a book someday. The someday is now. You sit down and just see what happens when you start doing it. See what comes out. Don't delay. Yeah, my one of my mentors, Dr. Dennis Whaley, wrote the um, Psychology of Winning. He talks about someday aisle. You know, he says, where no. is that? Where is that aisle? You know, someday aisle, you know, someday no. I'll do this. Someday I'll do that, you know. I'm, I, I'm not a I'm not a Sunday person at all. I, I'm not a person who has like a bucket list. I have things I do and then I want to do and I do them. You get it done. That's, that's how I live my yeah. life. Well, that's a, that's a great lesson for everybody. Isn't but underneath it? that is a profound gratitude that I can do that. Hmm. The older I get, the more grateful I get as a human being. Every I think day. that's the core right there. I think that that yeah. is the true secret right there. Gratitude. Every, if you had to rewrite day. a book. And, you know, and you had to write the secret today. To me, it's gratitude. You hit the button, oh, oh, nail on, right on the was, head. Yeah, my birthday was July 11th. Okay. It was like three weeks ago today, something like that. Four weeks. Yeah, whatever. And on my birthday, like most days, I write my journal. But the birthday is a special day. And I thought, what do I want to focus on in the year ahead? Now, gratitude has been with me for a long time. Okay. But I thought, gratitude in the moment. Now, well, here's what I mean by that. Things are tense, like today. The electricity in the house actually went off. And I had to do this. I had to write. And I was tense, I admit. But then if I take a breath and feel grateful in the moment, boy, it makes it selfish. It mm. makes it better. Then the second thing was physical fitness. My father had one cardinal rule. Your health is your wealth. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Everything in our lives is pinion on health. Right. Those are some pretty solid cores. The third, the third sense of humor. In, in my high school yearbook, a classmate wrote, because I was on stage a lot doing a lot of funny, crazy stuff in high school, quote, never lose your sense of humor. It's the most valued possession you have. That sentence 
in my high school yearbook has resonated with me my entire life. In fact, at the beginning of both of the Spike books, I credit that fellow with that. Uh, it's, it's right here like, uh, hold on. I think sense of humor will win you more friends uh, and influence people than anything else. <laughs> there it is. There's, um, there. Howard Higman, never lose your sense of humor. It's the most valued possession you have. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from high school like 60 years ago. Still with me. So humor, gratitude, physical fitness, humor are the three things this year that I tune to when there, there's more. I, have, I do affirmations and, and so forth. But, but and, I, and, you know, you don't forget these things. You, you, I'm, I, be, you know what, I, I believe in the word resolve. You resolve to yourself that you're going to do something. Not everybody you know. You just quietly say, this is what I'm doing. And then you do it. Very, very. Important. I call those non-negotiables. You know, there there are a handful of things that you do every day that are just non-negotiable. They have like to get done. Like going to the bathroom, drinking water, you know, going to sleep. You know, so if you can, call, obviously, even you know, physical fitness should be in one of those categories as the sense of humor. Because if you want to, you know, uh, have people gravitate to you and not gravitate away from you, that certainly helps. So tell us what your thoughts are, are about the state of comedy today, Bill. Oh, good question. The state of comedy today, Spike Unleashed is pushing back at the people on both sides of the right and left spectrum who would be complaining about comedy today, offending them. There's a, and one of the things happens in the book, somebody says, I can't go with the, the setup. We're living in the golden age of sensitivity. Boy, isn't that the truth? Mm. Somebody makes a joke on the stage. Oh, my God. That joke about his wife. He shouldn't talk about his wife like that. Then they become a keyboard bully. You know what they're doing? And I don't they know. Don Rickles would have survived today. <laughs> he'd still do it. He was still. <laughs> he was my so favorite. <laughs> so with Joan Rivers. So yeah. with Joan Rivers. Yeah. So the state of comedy today, as Judy Gold, one of my favorite female comedians, said, when they come for the comedians, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So one of my goals with Spike Unleashed is, is to write humor, politically incorrect humor, that I'm not intentionally trying to offend somebody. I'm just saying this could offend you. That could offend you. Humor, unless you're a really gentle humorist like you know, Will Rogers, something like that, is hope. by definition <laughs> yeah. transgressive. Right. Humor is good point. Good point. It's pushing against pushes the envelope. Yep. And 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 if you if you're pushing against a at a time when the against you're pushing against is bruises so violently easy. Yeah. So all I'm doing is standing up like a lot of comedians are doing. My friend Tom Cotter, I'll be going to see him Thursday night. He actually is in the book. He plays Higgins. He is Higgins. And the, the movie Florida Man, the president of the International Hamster Society, is in the book. And um, so that, that's my answer. That's what I'm trying to do. So uh, what I want to know, Bill, is when somebody finishes your book, right, what feelings would you ideally like to see them left with? How would you like to see them motivated, inspired, or changed? Well, that's a hugely complicated question. We could take 25 minutes talking about that. I would like them to see the perspective of Spike on our society. There were, there were things in the book like there's a man who's trying to create the civility project. because the, Actually, Big Woody, the owner of the strip club, comes into a lot of money because of crypto. 
and he's a Iraq veteran, and he he, he takes uh, psychedelics to help him overcome post traumatic. And while he's having a trip, he sees this wonderful place where everyone's like a Disney movie, being polite. Nobody's dropping their trash. Nobody's giving you the finger for making a turn in front of them by accident, by making a mistake. And uh, he realizes what we're missing in our society is civility. So he he uses all these millions that he's made from crypto to start a civility project. But then you have to see what happens to it, right? People think, oh, he's trying to make pansies into all of us. What? If If my eighth grader thinks his teacher is an asshole... My eighth grader has an absolute right for freedom of speech to call his teacher that. And so the civility project fails. So the answer, one of the answers to your question there is I'd like them to be aware of elements of our society that we all should be aware of that could be improved. I'd like them to be aware of, well, that sort of bothered me, that joke about this character. Maybe that was a little stereotypical, but... I laughed, and uh, if we can all just laugh at each other a little bit more, we'd be a lot happier. But but the overall thing is, <clears throat> I'd like them to feel better about their life and happier when they close the book than they did when they opened it. Oh, I like that one. Yes, there that, you go. Just, just a little bit better, book. right? There you it's go. So it, there's so much important. The, the book is satire, so it's sending up our society. Mm-hmm. You know. There's so much important stuff in it, but in the end, I'd like you to feel better when you finish it and when you start it. Well, you know, the way I look at it, uh, Bill, is, uh, you know, think about getting a nice early copy of The Symptoms or the Harry Potter books. I wonder how much those are worth now, getting those original copies. So when well, when, you, <laughs> when your series you takes off. An, you have an e-copy, which won't be worth much, but the original first edition. <laughs> the actual first edition. Yeah, exactly. So uh, thank you so much, Bill. It's been a joy talking to you here today on the motivation show you're a good man and um if we ever do this again i'd like to talk about the motivation and what is required to discipline yourself to write books because i've written four books and i and two of them i wrote at the busiest time of my life when i was working on television like working on television shows 11 hours a day so that's the next time well, you you absolutely have uh, great principles of inspiration and motivation so thanks again bill Thank you, Eli. Thank you, folks. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, email the motivation show at gmail.com. That's the motivation show at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.